It's nice to be back with you all. My wife and uh, family and I were away for the last couple weeks and grateful for the elders letting us pull away, feel very refreshed. We made a road trip to Vancouver, and uh, so that was uh, interesting, a lot of time in a car, and uh, turning the, the keys in on the rental car had 3,400 miles that we added to it, and I'm sure they were thrilled about that. Uh, but good to be back in uh, the, the Lord's house and just worshiping together. Hopefully you've been refreshed this morning already like I have. We started while I was away a new series uh, working through some different uh, chapters from the book of Psalms. And I came back this past uh, Sunday night and just kind of started wrestling through, well, what, what psalm do I feel convicted to share about? And it's funny because just before uh, we left, we were doing one of those scripture uh, readings, and uh, this beautiful woman uh, was doing the announcements, uh, and my wife, uh, Psalm 1-1, as she read, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And that verse just kind of rattled in my mind for quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. And so I, when I was trying to think through what would I like to share or teach on, I was like, you know what, that would be a fantastic one for our church, a fantastic one uh, for uh, me personally. And uh, so I'm excited to share with you, but just know I have about three weeks of pent-up uh, frustration, not frustration, conviction, there's a better word, uh, in that, that passage. And so let me pray before we dive in. God, thanks for this chance to be in your house and and so good to, to worship you and rightfully uh, sing about you, rightfully elevate your name. And I ask now that you'd speak to us, that we'd be free from distractions and really be able to hone in on this text and what you have for us. And that it's not for the person down the row, it's literally for us, it's literally for me. I pray that you'd teach us, that you'd stretch us, uh, grow us more into your likeness. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. So uh, Psalm 1, we're actually not just doing the first verse, we're going to work through the entire little chapter there, uh, but just wanted to give a little background as I was researching the, this, this week. They don't exactly know the author, which is a little bit uh, strange, but that's true of quite a few Psalms, but what they do know is it's written very, in a very similar pattern to a lot of the Proverbs. So a lot of theologians uh, have assumed and guessed that it, uh, it's very strong potential that it was Solomon that wrote this uh, particular psalm. It's right before the beginning of David's psalms in Psalm 2, and so some believe that it was Solomon with kind of a, a prelude to his father's work. So we don't know exactly, but either way, it's a part of God's inspired word, and so we believe there's a lot to be gleaned from it. As far as uh, themes go, it's kind of a more of a big picture theme in this. It has uh, tells of, of people, paths, and ultimate destinations. So it's kind of a big picture theme, kind of the same as the Bible itself as far as theme goes. But really, it takes two different categories of people. It describes the, uh, the righteous and the wicked. It describes the righteous and the wicked. And it's interesting because if you think about it from the perspective of God's view of people, really that's the category that he places mankind in. Either the person that's righteous or the person that's wicked. The person that's wicked is really anybody that's go going their own way independent of God. So it's a broad definition. Wicked is anybody that hasn't embraced Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because the only way that we fall into that other category of being righteous is not based on our righteousness, but based on our decision to embrace the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
So the righteous, the only reason they're righteous is because they're wrapped in the robe of Jesus Christ. And so this category describes, or these categories describe really all of mankind. Either you've embraced Jesus Christ or you've rejected Jesus Christ. And that's evident, as you know, in our actions and our words, and it's seen in our lifestyles. And here it points specifically to basically two different paths, the, basically the opposite paths, the, the, the path of the righteous and then the path of the wicked. And he's uh, really concerned in making sure that the righteous doesn't get confused and start heading down the path of the wicked. And really, a lot of imagery is pointing towards being rooted and grounded, and that has to do with the path that we're on. And so we've titled this morning's message, Rooted, but we're going to look at the different aspects of what this rooted person looks like. We'll dive into verse 1. It's the verse I already read, but we'll read it again and unpack it a bit. It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Kind of an interesting uh, description there. And it's interesting, first off to me, that blessing comes only from what we do, but also from what we avoid. Blessing not just what we do, but also what we avoid, what we stay clear from, if you will. The environment which we put our roots down can determine success and failure in our life. That's what he's saying there. He's saying that the blessed person doesn't do these things. He starts really a progression of a description there, three things that the, that the uh, wicked do, he's, and he suggests that the righteous don't do this. He says not to go down the, the, or go with the counsel of the wicked. Now, upon first reading of that, you might say to yourself, like, what, what comes to mind when you think of somebody getting counsel? You know, maybe somebody leaning back in a chair and across the desk from somebody smoking and telling them what to do. Maybe that's not your image, but that's my picture. Uh, but uh, counselors are about to shoot me right now. Uh, but, uh, but really, the, the picture, a lot of people would say, uh, wait a second, that's not the image that, that I have. I, I'm at no point in my life Am I seeking out somebody that's really especially wicked and saying, you know what, could you give me some counsel? Can I sit down with you and you kind of explain how I should go or what direction? Of course that's not the case. No one's intentionally looking for a wicked person to give them counsel. You're like, well, that's easy to not do that. But if you think about it, what was our definition I just gave a moment ago of the wicked person? Anyone that's rejected Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Anyone that's chosen to go independent of Jesus Christ would fall into that category. So any counsel that isn't coming from God and his word would be counsel that would be described as wicked counsel, which then all of a sudden that gets pretty broad, right? That gets real broad of where we receive counsel. Think about all the different arenas that are in your life where we receive counsel, whether it's a friend, a coworker, somebody that uh, we just interact with on a regular basis at the gym, wherever counsel comes all over the place, not from just physical people, but also, I don't think we can address that section without talking also about the media in which we're surrounded with. This is where you're like, oh no, here comes the pastor getting on a bandwagon. Yep, that's about it. Uh, So here, listen to this statistic. Average home in America, and maybe Canada, uh, a TV is on an average of 7 hours and 40 minutes. 
Seven hours and 40 minutes. That's the amount of consumption. Now, you might be feeling good. You're like, I'm only three hours. But either way, like, let, let, let's think about that for a moment. There's no possible way that that doesn't have an influence and it doesn't fall under the category of counsel that we're receiving. If you ever watched a, a TV show and at the end of the whatever the episode or whatever, you're like, well, that clearly had a message, right? That clearly had a, an agenda to that show or thought or theme or big idea. And you walk away from that and you're like, ah, there's no way that that thought or theme wasn't influenced by its creator, right? And so the, the question when we're thinking through present day how to apply God's word to our life is wrestling through the question of, of what am I allowing myself to receive and accept as truth? And I'll tell you what, it's a, it's a pretty uh, challenging discipline when you start asking some of the questions of what worldview are, are they presenting in that show or that movie or that whatever it is that, on the internet. And one of the things, I'll just point to one theme that I'd say is a pretty common thread in our culture. How about this idea, uh, the, the idea that was introduced by Joseph Flesher of situational ethics. I would say that permeates our culture. Situational ethics. You're like, what are you talking about, Pastor? Situational ethics is the idea that uh, based on, it condones immoral behavior based on whether we think it makes sense for a situation. Condoning immoral behavior based on whether or not we think it makes sense for a situation. I'll, I'll give you an example. Man, I watched this show and this this uh, this man was uh, with this this woman that clearly wasn't his wife, but... Man, earlier on in the episode, I saw what a jerk his wife was. And I, and I, and I saw that they clearly weren't in love anymore. And, and man, it only makes sense because this new woman he's so happy with. So situational ethics, it only makes sense that he's with her. Or the, this guy, he got shot. Yep, he got shot. But man, he had it coming. He deserved it. Like he, ever since the beginning of the episode, I knew he needed to go down. You know, like uh, the, the situational ethics is all over the place if you have eyes, eyes to see it. Why did he have to lie in that situation? If he didn't lie, can you imagine what would have happened? You see, situational ethics is just one little glimpse of one thing that permeates. You see, what if, like Scripture calls us to, were to take every thought captive and we start running things through the filter and even just asking this simple question, this simple question of, do I agree with the message that they're sending? Do I agree? And then even more importantly, does Scripture agree with the message that they're sending? This isn't me just standing up here just to beat you up about television. It's to, to, to program our minds to start looking at our culture and assessing the counsel that we're receiving. How about this one? How about music that we listen to? Whoo! So listen to this. So I had this idea. I was going to take this top, the, uh, I was just going to look on the billboard and pick the number one song and we'd assess the lyrics. All right? Sound, sound fair? First off, the number one song was Spanish, so I didn't really know how that works. Uh, but, the, but the second one uh, was this song by Rihanna called Wild Thoughts. Anybody want me to put the lyrics up on the screen for that? No, I'm not putting them up there. I was like, oh, this is going to be a great exercise. We'll assess what we agree with. There was nothing in that song we agreed with. What if we were a bit more discerning on where we're receiving counsel? Because the next step we see in the text is what happens after, after we're, we're first 
Uh, walk, or it says, the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, because this is the progression. You're walking along, and this is how it works in our culture. You're walking along, and all of a sudden, you find yourself standing amongst the, the sinner. You're starting to, that, that, that's the, the process that it works. It's not just a thought anymore. You're adopting it as your own. It starts influencing our own actions. That's what he's calling us to. He's like, man, that's not the life of a blessed person. Adopting the bad counsel, uh, uh, adopting it as our own. He says the stands in the way of sinners, implementation of the bad counsel, if you will. Our way begins to align with their way even though our claimed core beliefs are so opposite. This is the warning that he gives us. Be cautious of that. Don't allow that to subtly sneak in where you start thinking in alignment with a world that has opposite core beliefs as you do. Say, that's not the way of the blessed person. That's not what it looks like. And the progression gets even worse. It says that sits in the seat of scoffers. This kind of the natural progression. I don't, I don't know if the, anybody else notices this when you've been standing for a while, you're in a conversation. I found myself doing this. I'll stand, I'll be talking to somebody, and I'll kind of glance around for a wall to lean on. That's bad. That, that, that tells me something about my age. Like I need something or something to kind of put, put my hip against. Or Anybody else do this? Or am I the only one getting old? And, and he, here's the natural progression. Is when you've been standing too long, what happens? just want to sit down, man. just want to make myself more comfortable. I want to make myself at home. I, I feel at ease here. Now we can, we can sit and chat and stay for a while. That's the same thing that he points to in the, the, the text here. Got to be careful of that. What happens before you know it, before you know it, before you've received all this counsel for so long, you've adopted it as your own beliefs, even subtly not realizing it. And then before you know it, all of a sudden, what does it describe? This, this uh, final act of rebellion sits in the seat of scoffer. And if you think about it, that's only natural that you start thinking, well, if I'm going this direction, they're so, so weird to be going that direction. Things, things that are happening on Sunday morning here, I'm sure would qualify as things worthy of being scoffed. Like, yeah, those weird people, they're singing about Jesus. You know, they're reading this outdated book. They're eating crackers and drinking grape juice to represent his body. Like, seriously, like that, that, that's the thinking outside of the church. Like, how weird is that? And that road that it goes if we're not careful. You can slip that direction. They naturally, they're so immersed in the world's thinking and behavior, they naturally mock anyone who doesn't follow suit. This is the progression he's warning us against. So what do we do? I'm not saying that we're all to go live in a cave all by ourselves with no media, no whatever, but I would say that it would be helpful if we were a little bit more discerning we put on our, our thinking hats, if we started assessing things, you th- I think even if you just did this exercise this week in your media consumption, if you started to say, okay, what message are they saying? Do I agree with it? Does it align with God's word? If you did that with the stuff that you're taking in, just th- those simple questions. Do, what message are they saying? Do I agree with it? Does it align with God's word? And I'll tell you what, you might start to see, ah, oh, there's some shifts that are needed to protect myself to make sure I'm in healthy soil. There I am officially off my soapbox. Continuing in the text, uh, as we look at the next section, this is the alternative, verse two. But his delight, 
This is the righteous person. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The author's points to the alternative life of the person that meditates, that literally consumes as much instruction as possible. He's saying the law there, the law there is the same word used of the Torah, which represented the first five books of the New Testament or the Old Testament. Uh, but the Torah there is more than just the Ten Commandments. The Torah was the complete compilation of the Lord's instruction to man. So really, the, maybe the, the better way to understand that is the, the wise person consumes as much instruction from the Lord as possible. The wise person consumes as much instruction as possible. But you see, the truth is this goes against our sin nature. Because our sin nature doesn't really like getting instruction from anyone, right? Can we agree to that? Anybody here admit to that? You're like, I, I don't really like people telling me what to do. This last last week, I was uh, on this Craigslist adventure. Craigslist takes you some pretty crazy places. I was picking up a basketball hoop uh, to save a few bucks, and I uh, showed up at this guy's uh, house, and uh, and and it's got it's this big old glass backboard, big hoop, and uh, and the guy's like, "Sorry, my back's hurt. I can't help you with this." I'm like. It's just me in a pickup truck. So I called my 73-year-old dad and uh, said, hey, hey, dad, can you come over? Just help. It'll just go real quick. And uh, three hours later, uh, but, the, but, this, but this guy the entire time, every 10 seconds was giving me one more bit of advice and counsel of how I should do it and what angle I should be on. I was about to snap as a pastor. It was real bad. But, but, but I was thinking about it on my drive home. I'm like, what is it about that that I didn't want to receive this guy's counsel? Every couple of things he said were actually intelligent. And like, what, 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 what is it about that? I think it's ingrained in us. We like to have it all figured out ourselves. We, we don't like the idea of needing something to come. That, that re, re requires humility, right? That requires that we acknowledge that we don't have it all solved. That's what he's saying here. He says the, the righteous person, the righteous person wants to soak it all in as much as possible, consume as much as they can, drink as much as possible. That's the idea here that he's pointing to. And imagine why wouldn't we want to go to the one that's designed us, that's created us, that understands the big picture, that sees past, present, future? Like, why would that has our best interest in mind? What in the world would keep us from not going to the know-it-all when that's at our disposal? When he's like, man, I've set the course. I have it all in here. Why wouldn't you want to delight in his word? That's the invitation, especially when there's so much at stake. When there's literally life and death and eternity on the line, why wouldn't we want counsel from the one that designed the whole thing? You'd want that. It's a big deal. That, that's why he points towards not just reading casually, but literally it says he meditates day and night on it. When I was in uh, Vancouver on this trip, one of the highlights, my uh, brother-in-law that we were staying with, is a pilot. He actually uh, has tried out for those Red Bull-like stunt planes, and so he has, a, has his own plane. Here's a, a picture of it. That's a, the fastest single propeller plane in Canada, which is pretty cool. So I got to go up in that. But as I'm sitting in the back seat right behind him, I'm like, I know Mark. He's kind of a goofball. Like, what am I doing 
putting myself in, in, the, in the hands. But then I was talking to him, I was like, so you put a, a lot of training into this, right? And, and, and he's, like, he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, I've read everything I can get my hands on. I've been, he's like the uh, air specialist. He, he's done countless hours in the air with trainers. He's done all of these things because why? He knows there's a lot at stake. Before we even went up, he had this checklist of all these things he went down. I'm like, all right, all righty, let's go. But, uh, but, but here is the same picture. He's like, man, you can't expect to be successful and prosperous without meditating on the manual, without putting in the work. That's the idea that this author is pointing to. Day and night, day and night is the key to succeeding. It's not 40 minutes each week. That's not going to do it from some random bald guy reading from Scripture. You, like It takes a personal investment in this book if you're going to succeed at life. And Look at the outcome when we do. Verse 3. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. Introduces some strong imagery here to help us picture this idea. It's similar. It's interesting when you think of Israel, they were a very similar climate to Southern California, very dry, very barren. Not a, when he's talking about a, the idea of a, a river and trees growing next to it, that's not something they were seeing every day. That's not like a common view uh, of, uh, of an individual in that time and day. But here he's painting this picture. That's what it looks like. That's, that's the picture. When we were in Vancouver, we went on all the, these beautiful hikes, and Adrian and I kept being like, oh, did you see that stream? Did you see that river? Did you see this waterfall? You know, all these different things, and always next to it, what did you see? All these trees, huge trees just growing. Is exactly the picture here. Is because when you're connected to the source, man, the only natural outcome is you're going to see fruit. You're going to bear fruit. It's only the natural thing that happens when you're drinking a lot. My question for us, are we delighting and drinking enough? My family uh, jokes about this. My mom sometimes misses some uh, cues and we have fun with that, but she was in a, uh, she was in a, uh, a physical at the doctor's office and the doctor was asking her, said, said uh, just, ma'am, just wanted to go through some different questions here. Just wanted to ask if, uh, first off, just wondering if, if you drink or not. And uh, she's thinking, uh, he's thinking alcohol, she's thinking water. And she's like, not nearly enough. And uh, <laughs> so, so I was thinking about that as it relates to God's word Sometimes the message here, you're, you're thinking to yourself, man, am I, am, I, am I drinking enough? Am I consuming enough? Am I putting enough in? And that, that's a question that I can't answer for you. I, I, I can't do that. You have to do that assessment personally. But it's interesting because the, the outcome for the person that is, they're by streams of water, they're yielding fruit. One of the ways that you know if you're, if you're drinking enough if you're consuming enough, is there should be fruit that you're bearing. What fruit is he talking about? Galatians 5 describes this type of fruit. It's a spiritual fruit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of those things are pictures as a clue that you're getting enough consumption. When those things are, are flourishing in you, that's maybe a good sign that, oh, maybe I am enough. If those things aren't happening 
You need to assess, man, maybe there needs to be a little bit more intake because God's word tells us that those are the outcome of the person that's consuming enough of his word. Not just that, not just the, uh, the spiritual outcome, but it also says, and its leaf does not wither. Its leaf does not wither. The other aspect is when the storms of life, when the droughts come, when all the junk comes, that person that's rooted and grounded in God's word keeps standing, keeps prospering, keeps moving forward. They're not wilting when the storms come. I was reading recently just a, a book by Levi Lusco. I don't know if you've heard of that pastor before, really gifted communicator, but one of the things that was super just challenging in his life is, uh, I don't know how many years ago it's been now, but his five-year-old daughter had asthma, had an asthma attack where they couldn't get assistance, and so literally he held his five-year-old daughter. She breathed, or barely breathed, her last breath tells this, this story, and it's interesting to hear how God's used that circumstance in his life where his leaf hasn't withered. His perspective is so heavily influenced by God's word, they, he and his family have been able to flourish even amongst that miserable, terrible tragedy. That's what God promises for the person that's rooted in his word. My question for us is, how would we stand if that were to come in our life? Are we grounded enough that we would succeed, that we'd still flourish in the midst of that? In all that he does, he prospers, it says. All that he does, he prospers. Being a pastor for, it's actually, this February is my 20th year of being in vocational ministry. And I'll tell you what, seeing a lot over the years of people that when they're in the parameters of God's word, it's not just because he's trying to inflict rules on us. He's like, man, the people that are, stay within the boundaries avoid so much heartache. Literally, that doesn't mean that they're absent of any trials or challenges, but avoid unnecessary trials and challenges. The person, he says, prospers in all that they do. Lastly, this last section, we'll end with this. Verse four through six Without roots we perish. The wicked are not so, this is the alternative, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The wicked are not so is what it starts with, basically painting the picture of the contrast of a tree versus a chaff. You know what a chaff is if you're working with a grain of wheat. They press the, the wheat and the wheat kernels they would, would fall down and that's what's kept to actually make bread and different products. But the, the excess, kind of the shell and area on the outside and the, the stem, that would be considered the chaff. And literally they would, in, the, in Israel, they would do this process at the top of hills so that after the wheat was taken out, the remaining chaff would just blow away. That was kind of the waste and the excess and the really unusable and kind of pointless after the wheat is taken out. And that's what he points to as the person that's outside of Jesus Christ. He's saying, he's saying they're, they're not going to stand. He describes that. He goes even further. Will not stand in the judgment. What are they talking about? Judgment. Scripture points all over to the place that we're all going to give an account to Almighty God. We're going to stand and we're either going to stand as the wicked person that's rejected Jesus Christ, or you're going to stand as the righteous, the person that's wrapped in Jesus Christ's finished work on the cross. He points to these two ends of the path. 
What I think is interesting or fascinating too, it says, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous. In other words, he sees through the false conversions. He sees through the people that maybe have talked it but aren't really living it. The people that claim it but there's literally no evidence of their lo- in their life that it's taken root. He sees through that and he describes, it's fascinating, the congregation of the righteous. The congregation of the righteous would be the description of heaven. Those that are considered righteous or right before God because of what they've done with Jesus' offer and finished work on the cross. Paints this picture and not a real positive one the only positive that we can glean from it is the the remaining piece there is it says the lord knows the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked will perish not just saying there's other places that talk about the wicked actually perishing but the way of the wicked in in other words this constant tug of war that we feel to go this way or that way that's going to come to an end eventually There's going to be no longer struggles when we breathe our last breath and enter into our rest with Almighty God. There's no longer that tug of war, which path, which direction, whatever. Our decision is made. So I leave with this thought, a couple things here. First, the the challenge that it gives us to really assess the, the soil that we're in. Making sure if you're if you're in toxic soil, if you're in toxic soil, that, that doesn't go well. Like that, he, he's saying that will not end well. My my wife and I, when we moved into this house that had uh, had to be fumigated, is that the right word for termites? And that sounds kind of gross, but I guess it's common in California. But I had these put that big tent on the the, the top of the house. But we have an awning in the, front, uh, in the front of the house, and all the plants underneath the front awning, and they were shot. Like, they, they, were, they were gone. Why? Because there's a toxic environment. Like, there, there's no way they could survive with that, that many fumes. And similar, he's pointing to this for us here this morning. You have to consider the soil that you're planted in, what you're receiving counsel from, who you're standing with, who you're spending time with. That's a critical path. Uh, part of assessing the, the the roots that we're putting down. And then the, the, the second one, he paints this picture. It comes, the alternative is when you're deeply rooted in his word. We already talked about that. And then lastly, the outcome, if you're not, is not real positive. It's pretty discouraging to see that the, the wicked, the person that, that isn't grounded, hasn't put their full and complete trust in Jesus Christ. So I end with this one opportunity for anyone in this room that's never made that choice or decision. Man, I'll tell you what, this is a, a morning that could redirect, literally redirect your eternity by simply bending a knee, embracing his finished work, saying, Jesus, I admit I'm a sinner. I am wicked. I've fallen short. I embrace what you did for me on the cross. I embrace that and I want your righteousness. I, I, I don't want to be like the chaff that blows away. I want to be the tree that's rooted by streams of water. Even in these moments just now as I'm quietly going to pray at the end here, I just want to give a, a pause, a second of silence just for anyone that wants to make that decision just to go before the Lord and, and, just, and just call out to Him. Maybe some of us that's here that maybe have wandered for a while and you're like, man, I've, I've gotten so far down that road of the, of the unrighteous, of the wicked. Man, I don't even know how to get back. Well, this is an awesome opportunity. The lovely thing is we sang the song of the wide open doors. It's a constant invite to come back. Let me just pause just for a moment, just of silence, give you guys a chance to reflect on this a bit, and then we're going to close God, I thank you for your word. 
how practical it is, how it speaks directly to us. And when we take the time to actually break it down, it's so, so applicable to our lives even today. I pray that even in response to this message, there be those with a new revived commitment to being rooted and grounded in your word, God, that that would not be something that's just a second afterthought, but it'd literally be an intentional pursuit. God, what you call us to is not to restrict us from good stuff, it's to call us back to the good stuff, which is you. It's not an invitation for more rules, it's an invitation into relationship with the one that designed us, that made us, and knows us better than we even know ourselves. God, I pray that we'd see that as a people this morning. And I pray for any person here in this room that's never embraced you as Lord and Savior, that this might even be that morning, that turning point, that redirection of paths, no longer depending on their righteousness, on their human effort, God. That, that path will come to an end. Uh, but depending on what you've done on the cross, I pray if there's anyone here that's wants to make that decision this morning, they'd take the bold step even after the service of coming in and chatting with me for a few minutes. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your patience as we work through this. So we ask that you'd give us a more of a hunger and a passion for you, more of a hunger and passion for your instruction. God, we're dependent on you for all of this. We acknowledge that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, may God give us the ability to discern good counsel. May he be the source of our counsel. Let's take some steps even that direction this week. Amen? Amen. Have a wonderful Sunday. God bless you. If you don't have plans this evening, we'd love to have you for our vision night for the new Thursday service. Thanks.